Hello, everyone. This is Joe Wickham again with another episode of Reboot Your Relationship. And we are going to be taking a dive today in uh, some of the trauma-informed relationship uh, therapy methods that I've developed and researched over the last years. But we're going to talk about stages of trauma recovery in relationships, especially when we are dealing with one person who has PTSD or two people that have PTSD or trauma. Um, actually, let me kind of reframe and re restate what that PTSD thing is, because I think I want to rename that here uh, going forward. Uh, post-traumatic stress reordering of the brain, relationships, attachments, um, your nervous system, your actual DNA structures are reshaped, and all that's a co-occurring. Um, and so when we're dealing with trauma and relationships, there's multiple dimensions co-occurring simultaneously and not one dimension is able to really uh, define or suggest what the, you know, what, what the problem really is or what the dynamic is or dimension because all that stuff, there's so it's a systemic problem and we want to be able to start looking at uh, this a little bit more from 10,000 feet so we can get a better understanding of our, so our defense mechanisms and how that works. But uh, to kind of get into that today, we're going to talk first about some of the stages of trauma recovery in the context of relationship. And um, to go through that, now my bias, as you hear me say in all my other podcasts, is, you know, we're broken relationship, we're wounded, uh, or experienced trauma in relationships, and we're healed in the context of the relationship itself. So this first step and first stage of, of this is really beginning to understand and the safety and stabilization and overcoming some of the dysregulation when you get into that vicious cycle or that vortex. So as that first step is really important because when I work with you as a couple, we first are taught to comprehend the effects of trauma and to understanding what are some of these, um, sometimes they're unconscious attachment you know, wounds and patterns, and sometimes they're conscious. Right? We're aware that you know, whatever intent that you have in the relationship doesn't always get the effect that you want, especially if you're getting caught up in the fight, flight, and freeze type of dynamic, which we're going to talk about a lot today, because this is where we want to begin understanding some of the common symptoms and to understand the meaning of the overwhelming body sensations, the somatic experiences, some of these intrusive emotions and distortive cognitive schemas and, uh, just, you know, these distortions. And the more we can begin to understand that there's more between heaven and earth as Shakespeare said, um, there's more between heaven and earth than our philosophy, my dear Horatio. So we're looking at what's going on in that between space, between heaven and earth, the, the, the sky and the earth, and how that sometimes can be very complicated to understand how all that's occurring first. So the first thing we want to talk about is really creating a safe environment, a secure base, something where stability rests on creating some of these tasks. And one of those is one we're identifying and trying to identify where the attachment injury or the trauma, if you will, where that bone is broken in the relationship operating system so that we can 
create uh, an understanding of the context of that and how a lot of what begins to occur, whether it's from childhood aversive, aversive childhood experiences or like myself with that, where there's been abuse, emotional, physical, sexual abuse or abandonment, uh, loss, um, grief, um, you know, capital T trauma, small T traumas. Uh, I'm a military vet, so working a lot with military veterans and also first responders, you know, and whether you've been in a car accident, all these things can begin to um, wreak havoc in our life. So, but the first step here is really achieving for you this sense of safety. Okay. And, and that's going to look at establishing some bodily safety, like um, abstinence from self-injury or also mutual injury, where it could be, um, you know, hurt for hurt, anger for anger, you know, uh, pain for pain, that vicious cycle, that the more and more of that stuff. All right. And then also, you know, guys, looking at how do we create that with, if you're in a relationship, that couple bubble, a safe environment, a safe haven, a secure base where you have that secure living situation in a non-abusive relationship or a, I prefer putting it in terms of more positive, like two powerful people, two securely functioning adults, co-creating, learning how to self-soothe, manage some of the post-traumatic uh, uh, symptoms triggered by uh, maybe certain mundane events or things that are coming up that can be triggery in some ways. And so the goal here also is looking at how to, um, you know, create that stability and security um, and to also move into um, the goal of that stage when you first begin working with me is to create a safe and stable life in the here and now being present to what's occurring because a lot of times I will ask people this, and you might hear me say this again. I'll ask, what time zone do you live in, right? So what time zone are you in in the relationship? And if you really think about your orientation, for a lot of us, um, where there might be shame, it might be more of a past orientation, right? The, the, the time zone is in the past where everything kind of is uh, hinged on and that becomes part of the present, right? Or it's a future orientation, right? Where if there's been mistrust, it's like, who can I trust? Who can I, um, you know, where's my safety? Where is the, the place I can go to feel safe? Which takes us out of where we need to be, which is where? Here now, in the present, working through some of the traumatic memories and experiences, which can be super scary sometimes, danger, 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 but here we want to help create, help you as a couple or individual, but safely remember the trauma rather than continue to relive it. And not only just reliving it, it's actually a reenactment of that trauma moment. And when you work with me, you'll start seeing how that comes to play, how that continues to be reenacted as a part of your story. Because when something happens, right, something happens, and we have this trigger, this triggering event or some situation that brings up some negative uh, emotion or feelings. or And again, this moves it out of the cognitive into the, the brain and the nervous system and the, uh, the body keeps score type idea here. Because again, the body is kind of holding on to all the 
the trauma. And that is continues to get into the circuitry of your nervous system, which we're going to talk a lot about today in the circuitry, because then it just kind of stays this open negative feedback loop that doesn't ever really get grounded back. Okay. So these are some of the things that we want to talk about in stage one or phase one or whatever you want to call that first stage is understanding the negative cycles, the vicious cycle, the fear dance, whatever you want to call that stance, dance, dance, you know, you might be getting into, and I'll share some of my own stories as well. Some of them can be really embarrassing, but that's okay because we're here to create a safe place. So we have the courage and vulnerability to really begin to talk about things that are super important. And we are going to um, really challenge the belief around post-traumatic stress disorder being uh, a, a stigma when really these are things that didn't that we weren't born with, right? You weren't born with any of this. I wasn't born with any of this. This is something that we've learned. And because we learn it, we can unlearn it too. But we have to understand there's something occurred, something happened, and then we create a story, you know, interpreting and translating everything in the world through this lens of trauma and began to, you know, adding and subtracting meaning when we're going to get into breaking this down and slowing it all way, way, way down to a place where we can kind of do the play-by-play, kind of like it when you're watching a football game, you want to slow it on down. You want to move it slowly so you can begin to identify what's happening in, uh, in your body, what's happening in your emotions, your thoughts, what some of these attachment meanings have for you. And then because once we get into that story, Okay, the trauma will start looking around, scanning, looking for danger, 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 looking for evidence of that danger, and that creates and revs up this kind of vicious cycle that we're getting into. So that's the first thing. Because then the next step is really coming to terms with some of the traumatic memories and experiences and trying to reprocess some of those things together with your partner. And that's where we learn to overcome some of the fear of the traumatic memories. Um, as they uh, begin integrated and it's kind of like, how do we, you know, it's, is your partner, um, you know, helping each other come alongside and name and tame the dragon. Now, what I always say is we're not to be caretakers necessarily for each other's wounded child. Like we need to be walking on more eggshells to get help and healing. Now we're not using that. It's to get back into being the playmate for each other's healthy child. And, there is a lot of hope here when we begin to understand where we got stuck and where we got handed a very traumatic experience, this calculus problem. We didn't have the resources, skills, or, you know, uh, you know, especially if you're a child, you don't have, you're, you're operating out of, you know, fifth grade level fractions, decimals, integers, trying to solve this very challenging, you know, calculus problem. And guess what? You learn to survive. You didn't necessarily solve the calculus problem, but you did solve it in that moment to survive. And now that begins to be part of the defense, right? So that little, the wounded child and the adaptive child, again, goes through different things where they become, you may find that you or your partner get to be very black and white, all or nothing, rigid, controlling, um, avoiding, distancing, isolating, disconnecting, withdrawing, or getting angry, or shutting down, or attacking or lashing out to protect ourselves and and all that's kind of that's all normal when you're dealing with trauma 
but to know that you have the power and freedom to choose another way. And when we are in those traumatic experiences and have been in those things, what we don't always necessarily realize is that we're kind of in that stuck place, that frozen place where we can't leave, we can't escape, we can't run, we can't do anything. And we internalize all that as powerlessness, helplessness, shame, guilt. And that shame corrodes our part of us, that belief around the trauma that we can't change. And we need to begin to overcome some of that and integrate and allowing appreciation for the person that you have become as a result of the trauma. And the superpowers, if you will, that have come with that, you know, so there's the good and the bad and the ugly. And there's good parts to that, there's bad, and then there's the ugly. But the ugly part is that you get into that because good days, you have your good days, those things happen, you have your bad days, and you kind of you work your way back to good, but then you get into that the ugly days and these moments where it's really hard to pull out of that vicious cycle. And because there was no, let's say, reparation or restoration, reconciliation back to the good because of all the trauma that was going on within and between you. And maybe that was not somehow uh, attuned to or, you know, uh, seen or understood. And maybe you were made to be the problem, you know, or you were the victim and got re-victimized when you're brought into therapy. And they're saying, well, you're the problem. Well, again, we're not, this isn't a you problem. This is a we, this is a relational uh, situation. And we need to really begin to understand in order to metabolize, not just verbalize memories, but to make use of, let's say, one of the methods I use is attachment-based emotionally focused trauma therapy for couples or attachment EMDR, eye movement desensitization, you know, reprocessing, or mind-body therapies, or mindfulness, or even somatic experiencing, so we can really get back into understanding how to get unstuck. So we're going to be pacing and ensuring that you do not become even more stuck in the avoidance or overwhelmed by memories and flashbacks, since remembering is not recovery. Okay, Just because we remember a traumatic experience doesn't mean that we've recovered it, because the goal here is to come to terms with the traumatic past, but also to reprocess and, you know, and make, bring meaning and understanding and purpose to that so we can integrate those parts that have been fractured off. Now, a lot of times, you know, I ask people, how do they feel when they're in those moments of, you know, hypervigilance or disassociation or whatever, they feel fractured and they feel shattered and they feel scared and it's kind of like danger, danger, danger. They're looking for, you know, the, the bear, right? So kind of imagine this. So if you, let's say you grew up in a forest, right? Or woods and you're walking through the woods, you see a bear and your body, your brain goes into that fight, flight, freeze. You fight the bear or you run away from the bear or you shut down and you play dead and you freeze, right? One of those three ways, right? Now as a, uh, if you're in a woods or forest and there's a bear, that's adaptive. That's what your brain and your body should be doing. It should be doing all of that to stay safe, right? However, let's say with aversive childhood experiences or trauma or any other trauma and you are home or you're driving down the road or something reminds you of that and the bear is actually in the house with you 
and there is no escape and you got this chronic trauma, right? Then what do we do? Where do we go? What do we do with all that stuff? Because then we've learned other coping strategies to deal with the trauma. And so kind of think of it like the, uh, this idea here around the, like a, a, an alarm system, right? Your alarm, it's good. It's there for a reason. Your nervous system's there as an alarm. The amygdala, um, the emotional brain <coughs> is there as an alarm. And all that's occurring, you know, simultaneously, unconscious to us. <coughs> it's just a cold, guys. So we get into that, you know, how the nervous system helps us kind of defend ourselves, right? So let's say that that alarm, uh, your car or your house has an alarm, right? So let's say someone's trying to break in your house or in your car and the alarm is not going off, right? There's no uh, alarm, right? And it should be, right? That's, you know, you're experiencing a 10, but it's not responding. So that part of that is the disassociation. It's kind of like detaching and becoming more disorganized, um, especially when the trauma causes this disorganized attachment. Like, is it safe to be attached, right? So that that becomes a no. Or if a, or let's say that the alarm in your car is set too low and the wind, someone walks by or a car drops by, drives by or there's a little shimmering or shaking in the, and then the alarm is always going on. It's that hypervigilance. It's the danger, 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 danger all the time. So that's that part where you get exhausted and you're feeling frustration because you, these early attachments are, you know, when we think about early attachments, if they're safe, we're, we're really comfortable in relationship. We feel that sense of safety, you know, because the question is, it's safe to be close and it's safe to be myself. So that we, that's what happens when it's a parent figure creates safety versus danger, right? Or you're in a situation or, you know, you're driving your car, you get blindsided, you get hit, or there's abuse or whatever happens. Um, but that danger, that alarm is really important to understand that it's there. It's function, you know, when it's functional the early attachments, you know, that are dangerous, it creates that internal struggle between the yearning to attach and to drive to be safe. So do I run toward this person or am I to run away? Am I to fight this person when I'm feeling threatened or do I run away and shut down? And, but, you know, as we think about it, you know, that part of the disorganization that kind of, you probably have seen that come close, get away, come close, get away, that vacillation, that you might, you know, you or your partner might be going through at one time. And you might feel that part of you that's fractured or disintegrated, um, not able to get to the, you know, the connection that you want. So these impulses to attach, to be close, to trust, uh, somehow shuts down, you know, and that's where we want to go. Um, or maybe it feels like it isn't safe to be connected, to depend or watch out, you know, don't trust people. So those impulses to fight or flee from the closeness Right, you get that person who's coming close, and especially in our intimate, most intimate relationships, when we need that feeling of safety and security, <coughs> that can tend to, or comfort, or emotional support, or explanation, or reassurance, or holding, rocking, or something where 
you feel, you know, you can move from the hurt, you know, but what happens is the hurt then becomes when it's kind of in an unsafe way, the hurt becomes, you know, can become, uh, when you find that sense of safety, the hurt can become playfulness. You know, the fear turns into more curiosity or the anger can transform into more energy, positive energy or setting boundaries or shame feels more comforted. So you can begin to soothe and return to that baseline level of arousal and to feel safe in the world again. And that's where the limbic system comes in, the emotional sensory and the interpersonal experience comes in. We're going to take a little bit dive into that, but we're going to focus on how today the nervous system helps us defend ourselves. And we're going to get into a very particular part of that. Again, the fight flight responses where we just don't sit there, we do something right. Or the freeze part of the submit responses where we don't move and, and, and it's, you know, it's not safe. But there's, we're going to talk about some of the, the neurochemical release, the triggers, which triggers the parasympathetic system and all that that's occurring within and between you and your partner in this co-regulation, this stance, stance, stance that you both get into. And so slowing that down today, because slower is faster. When you come with me, it's slower is faster. So we can begin to go to the last stage of that, which is integration and you know, moving on and beginning to understand it where you both can now begin to work on decreasing the shame and the alienation or that part that gets walled off or uh, put into exile and, um, and here developing a greater capacity for your healthy attachments and taking up more of the personal and professional goals, you know, that reflect, you know, the post-traumatic meaning-making you know, and overcoming the fears of normal life and healthy challenges and change and intimacy uh, that become the focus of our work here. So as a survivor, we're all survivors here, right? Life can become reconsolidated around a healthy, present, and healed self. And that's the hope here that we can reintegrate those parts that have been fractured off, that split off. And when that happens, where there's that wound, again, that we talked about, that all or nothing, black and white, you know, inflexible, rigid, tight, you know, the tight in the body becomes more of that secure, functional adult who's more nuanced and flexible and humble and yielding and relaxed in the body and can stay present to what's occurring. And that's the hope here as we move into Today, understanding the sympathetic nervous system and the parasympathetic nervous system is kind of like the gas and the brake going, you know, a lot of times at the same time. So think of your car, the gas and the brake. If you have both of those down at the same time, you're, you're burning out your nervous system. There's adrenal fatigue. The adrenaline goes up. Cortisol levels go up. Stress levels go up, you know, re reshaping your brain, rewiring your brain in certain ways, reordering the brain and your relationships at the same time. So when we begin to understand the neuroscience of trauma and the relationship, guys, we are going to break through some of these things. I know this is really, especially if you've had this for a long time, um, but let me just kind of give you just an overview of two things, and then we're going to dive deeper into the next half hour here, just talking about some of the sympathetic nervous system and the parasympathetic nervous system, you know, um, 
It's the gas and the brake or the brake and the gas, right? So the sympathetic nervous system here, that's when if you make your hand, if you're, dri if you're driving, you don't have to do this, but if you're sitting at home or you're, you know, kind of make your hand like a, you know, wrap your fingers around your thumb, right? And just kind of take a look at, this is kind of a model of your brain, all right? So wrap your fingers around your thumb and on the outside where your knuckles are in the front is your prefrontal cortex. That's your thinking brain, very simply. And then on the inside, your thumb there, that's the limbic system, the emotional brain, that's the alarm. And then you have the amygdala inside. That's kind of like the hot button or the response or your fear button or whatever you want to call that amygdala hijacking. That's the alarm or that's a smoke signal or that's a part that goes off. So when the amygdala fires, then what happens in the sympathetic nervous system is the body uses all this adrenaline to rush and increase your heart rate and respiration, causing muscles. You probably feel that your, your, your jaw clench, your fists get tight and tense, and you surge into energy that prepares you for, for action, right? And that's all happening sometimes unconsciously when you get that trigger. And the pre the frontal lobes then are shut down to increase the speed of the response. Okay, so that's the amygdala hijacking. So the amygdala will hijack the prefrontal cord or the frontal lobes here, the thinking brain, because it's drawing from the hippocampus, which is back here, which is like your filing cabinet, your memory. And when you get triggered to an ancient memory or a memory where you've had trauma, well, guess how long it takes for that to go from your hippocampus to your, you know, limbic system. It's 12 milliseconds, right? That's pretty fast. And, but think about how long it takes for the memory to get to the prefrontal or to the, to the, yeah, the prefrontal cortex or the frontal lobe. That's 24 milliseconds. Well, that doesn't seem like a lot, but think of it like 12, 24. That's kind of like a half marathon versus a full marathon, right? It's, if you look at it in the terms of like speed and emotions, the emotions are going to take, the fear is going to take control precedence first before you can even stop and think and observe and process what's occurring. You're already hijacked. And that's kind of what we want to look at there. But on the other side of the sympathetic is the parasympathetic nervous system. And because that's when it's, when it isn't safe to fight or flee or when it's over, all these chemicals slow the heart rate and respiration, leading to a bit of a physical collapse, exhaustion, weakening, shaking, trembling, and some increased you know, gastrointestinal activity, and the survival response of the freeze and submit. And then we're still kind of laying here on detached. But here's where we want to go with this today. And Guys, thanks for just being patient. I'm just trying to lay out these paths here and practices. But overcoming fears of normal life, you know, healthy challenges and change and intimacy, when we start to focus on this and understanding what it is, we can begin to focus on the work. And as, that, as the survivor again, life becomes more whole and integrated, reconsolidated around the healthy, present, and healed self and the trauma feels further away, farther away, and part of an integrated understanding of self, but no longer, let's say, a daily focus where you're always in that fight, flight, freeze. So that's going to be part of it too. So during this, though, as we, we're also going to be focusing on 
some steps that you can, where you have the power and take back the power and the freedom to choose something very different than the response, uh, the habitual response and the fog that we get into. Um, so some of those, those steps, the power and freedom steps is that, Hey, you know, to not assume that the distress you're experiencing has been triggered is related to some childhood past. It may or may not be. We don't know. It could be something more current or it could be something real or perceived. We don't know. But the assumption here, not to make that assumption that it's tied into something, but it's worthy to look at. Okay. The other step here, the power and freedom you have to choose something different is to connect that distress to its roots is the traumatic past by fast forwarding through your childhood here, history, and noticing where the feelings and the body sensations best fit, right? So that we're reorganizing it and making meaning um, to the trauma. And that's going to be part of what we do as well. And I know this all sounds very technical, and it is, but to give you kind of to demystify some of this stuff, we want to be able to demystify it and bring it down to something where you can, you know, another step here is to identify the externalized old beliefs that developed a result of that traumatic experience. Okay. Whatever that was. So whether for a lot of us who have had abandonment trauma, right. Or abandonment, you know, betrayal or that grief around abandonment, right. Where you, if you can relate to this, you may feel shattered. You may have that sense of shattering and that loss of your loved one or loss of connection of some sort. And then you feel that withdrawal in your body, like an opiate drug, just kind of pulling and just that death, you know, you can feel that uh, terror and despair of, you know, the loss of your partner. And then we internalize that as rejection or abandonment. And then it rages, you know, you know, it's raging against the dying of the light and raging against, you know, uh, we're either doing two things. We're either raging out at that moment or raging in. We're either bringing up the shame or the pain and then lashing out towards our partner. And eventually that can lift and it keeps going through these vicious cycles. But we want to find a way to challenge that old belief so that you can begin to develop new beliefs that better fit your life today 